I'm Dawn Ennis. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. And welcome to the last Transporter Room podcast for 2019. Don't worry, we'll be back in the new year, but this is our last look at 2019. And we're starting off this episode with the Outsports Awards. Carly, I don't think there's any surprise at who the person of the year is. Number 15... <laughs> I don't think it's a surprise neither. I mean, I mean, a player that at one point some people said had lost a step, came back to the World Cup, had an excellent World Cup, had an, had an excellent World Cup, and just kept it and really just kept it going after the World Cup as well. I mean, not only on the pitch, but off of the pitch, being out front. In, in regards of the situation between the players and between U.S. soccer and in a lot of ways willing to stick her neck out. And I, I mean, and not only sticking her neck out on that issue, but on a lot of issues, the showing that support to J.C. Cooper, for example, that that told me a lot about her. And that just told me that, you know, I'm putting my fandom in the right place by being a fan of Megan Rapino. And J.C. also was named in our awards. She shared the Outsports Female Hero of the Year Award with Castor Semenya, two women who have been questioned about being women, who have fought adversity and have become role models for so many. I mean, and and putting the cross and to me, put on the crosshairs unjustifiably in many ways. I mean, JC has fought, I mean, Jay's in the case of JC, I, I feel they just openly just targeted her. Uh, what U.S. what U.S. powerlifting has done there—that's, I mean, that's ridiculous. And as a just speaking as a sports fan, and as a person who sees sports as a vehicle for so, social justice, to me, right there, that's a no-brainer. You have to support what JC is doing. And Castor Semenya has has shown a lot of courage, dignity, and grace throughout all the things she's gone through. I would encourage people. Watch the watch the uh, the Nike mini documentary on on her. Watch their watch their long form ad that they did because yeah, they're trying to sell some shoes, but also they're telling a story that's not told from a voice that a lot of people haven't heard. I mean, we've heard every voice on Castor Semenya for about seven years now, but we've rarely heard hers. And if you really want to hear what she has to say, unplugged and uncut, go check that out. And let's put that on the Transporter Room Facebook page. You know the. Her nemesis, the International Association of Athletic Federations, the IAAF, <laughs> which is now called, like, you know, they have like a witness protection program. They now are changing their names to World Athletics. They are our asshole of the year because <laughs> of how they treated Castor and how they are treating trans athletes. And it's just, you know, there were so many choices. We could have chosen TERFs. We could have chosen, oh, I could name a few. But I think that it's just fitting that the IAAF is our outsports asshole of the year. <laughs> well, I know many cisgender athletes who would also say that that title is very accurate for the IAAF. Uh, they have consistently been a body that has worked against all athletes, be they, be they cis or trans. I mean, they've really been a body that's been at odds with, the, with competitors and the way that they handled, to me, the way they handled the Duty, way they handled the Duty Chan situation, the way they've handled Castor Semenya, it—I mean, at so many levels, 
asshole of the year is appropriate. And I'll even go farther to say first world rich assholes of the year, because that's really <laughs> what you're seeing here. I mean, no, seriously, look at the athletes that have fallen under this recent, this almost this testosterone fueled witch hunt, if you will. They all come from the global South. They all come from developing countries. If Castor Semenya was a U.S. athlete, I don't think USA track and field would let it go down the way it went down for her. I don't, I don't see that happening. If duty Chand was say a German athlete or a British athlete, it doesn't go down like this. And I mean, I know it's bias against Brown and black people. It's really, yes, it's bias at one level. Yes. But it's also bias against poor. It's also bias against poorer countries. Mm -hmm. It's buyers against countries that are not in the developing, that are not in the first world club. That is not in the G20 club either. So yes, at one level it is racial, at another level, but also it's a racial issue and it's a class issue in many in many ways because I mean there's a it wouldn't go down like this. I don't even think an African American athlete that went through a caster went through who would I don't think USATF would even allow that. They would not mm-hmm. allow it. And the IAAF is just, I mean, it's ridiculous just the lengths that they've gone against like Chand and against Semenya, and it's just wrong. Well, this is why we chose them. And speaking of athletes, we have our female and male athletes of the year, plus the male heroes. First, your personal friend, my very good acquaintance, and one of our just most popular athletes, CC Telfer, is our Outsports Female Athlete of the Year. I can tell you, she was blown away that she was chosen. But because she is the NCAA Division II first openly transgender woman track and field champion, she yes. earned that. She earned that recognition. And, and I pointed out in my story, she doesn't always win, but she won big back in May in Texas. Oh, that was that was beautiful watching that that night at a Texas A&M Kingsville. And I mean, I, I, I was so moved by that race. I wrote a poem about it and I remember where I was when that race went off. I was sitting in the backseat of a lift in Philadelphia. I was playing in a softball tournament that weekend along with my mates from the Southern New England Friendship Softball League. And I was with two of actually my teammates on my team, the New Haven Barracudas. I was with, I was with my two teammates, Chris Tonsky and Allison Zwicky. And we were going to dinner and I'm in the backseat and I'm trying to do, I'm in the backseat with my iPad, looking at the streaming feed from the NCAA watching this race. And I said in my poem, you couldn't stop my sister tearing down like a twister. I was in a lift with an iPad. No way I was going to miss her. And when she took off from the gun, I was trying to do everything not to just start yelling in this lift because the race was just so beautiful. I was in tears by the end of the race. The rest of the night, I was between tears and smiles of just thinking, of just thinking, my sister won an, I mean, my sister Cece won an NCAA championship. And that, to me, was the most inspirational thing I saw in sports in 2019. And I don't care what sports. I don't care Super Bowls, NBA Finals, World Series. Ah, that race was the best thing I saw in sports in 2019. And she has countered so much uh, opposition and haters and boos, even Donald Trump Jr. You know, I'd love to be able to read your poem. Would you share it with us on our Facebook page? 
certainly. In fact, I'm going to do something by New Year's Eve. I am going to do a video of it. Oh, that's awesome. I am going well, to we'll do share a video both of those. Yes, we'll share because, the transcript as well as the because video. I mean, I just, I mean, uh, so many great things have happened for sports. I, I want to touch on the male athletes because I think that's a big deal. Oh, absolutely. I think young men, college football players, they're gay, they're bi, they're very handsome, and they are playing out as their authentic selves. I mean, that, I mean, reading those stories meant a lot because I love football. I mean, I love I football. And love I love, football. I especially love college football. And well, it's religion. It's not a sport. <laughs> well, where where I where I grew up, it, it's it's not it's not it's not like oxygen. It's more important than that. And <laughs> and but to see not only these young men coming out, but the but it, from the from the looks of it, these whole locker rooms are back. Are it's what I it's what I say about this generation. Is that the? I mean, this gener. When I look, whenever I go out and speak and go out and work with like the like this young generation, I I I tip my hat and salute them because this young generation, they're backing their peers, they're backing each other, they're closing ranks and they're rallying around each other, and to see, and to see, all these locker rooms come together, and not just at small college levels. I mean, I got to go see Afri Saffold play during this past season. Awesome. Kid's pretty dang good player. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, he's over at Amherst College, just up the road. And then, but to see all these different locker rooms, and to see an FBS locker room at Kansas State come swinging up for Scott France, that's a big. That's a big thing. Mm-hmm. To see it even at the major college level, not just in the small colleges, but the major colleges as well. There's eight, and it's a start, and they're at all levels of the game. And and to me. That's where it starts. It's slow. I mean, there's this this hysteria of oh god, they're all over the place. No, it's it's here and it's there. But to see, but every time one comes out and not only a, a player comes out, but the whole locker room swings up behind that and come out as a unit. That has ripples. And well, it's, it's going, not to and say that there. Yeah, it's not to say there isn't opposition. There are bigots, and one of the things about this generation that. It's wonderful that, you know, people feel so comfortable and confident, but it also emboldens those racists and bigots and homophobes and transphobes who normally might keep these feelings to themselves. But now they feel as if, well, they have to be just as outspoken. And it's quite a danger for some people in some places. So let's not, you know, dismiss the fact that they're still out there. What I hope is that they are either smaller in number or they will be squelched. Well, Donna... I see it like this, and I agree with you. I mean, unfortunately, because of these, because of the times we've been living since November 2016, especially in this country, and unfortunately, what you're going to be seeing in the UK after their results a few weeks ago, is yes, the homophobes, the racists, the bigots have been emboldened. The the fascist, I mean, fascism is back around the world, unfortunately. For example, but I'm naive and hope, hopeful enough. And have enough revolutionary optimism to believe that good voices are going to rise up and they're going to outnumber them. And yes, there could be one bigot in that locker room, but that one bigot's being drowned out by 95 other guys who are saying, that's our brother. And you have a choice, bigot. You either you either get in line or you get off our line. And, and I think with this generation, you're going to see a stronger generation. You're going to see a generation stronger and move forward the real snowflakes are the bigots 
Well, I'll tell you somebody who's no snowflake. Rob Kearney is the strongest gay. That's his Twitter handle. He is <laughs> a amazing, amazing man. He's a strong man. He's married. He's very open about his marriage. And he is our male hero of the year for 2019. I'm going to be talking to him in the next month or two for Connecticut Voice Magazine. Okay. We're doing a cover story on Rob. And I don't know if you remember a few months ago, he and his husband read some of the nice tweets about them that were sent to us when we published their story about their wedding. Oh, he's done that. He, he's done that on video. Well, I, I, sweet, we call them sweet tweets because they were all complimentary. And I'll tell you right now, anybody think about sending Rob Carney a mean tweet? Don't. <laughs> you really don't want that. <laughs> he's a big boy. This you is don't why they want... call him the strongest gay. <laughs> I mean, it, it's kind of like David Banner, you know. Don't make him angry. You wouldn't like him like when he's him angry. angry. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's one more award we haven't discussed, and it's the Outsports Non-Binary Person of the Year. It's the first time we're actually giving this award, and we chose Sonic Fox, Dominique McLean. Dominique came out as gay in December last year, and he said he wasn't just gay, super gay. And in September of this year, they came out as non-binary. Sonic Fox has won so many different games. They're up for a big contest with Mortal Kombat next March. And I can just tell you that um, they're not used to being this like celebrity, but they say that they stand up for one reason, to tell people, we're here, get used to it. I will tell you that if there is a person who I think is going to, I'm going to give you a prediction for 2020 right now. Oh, all right. We got some more predictions. Break, break, no, I know what breakout. I see Sonic Fox being a breakout newsmaker in 2020. Well, they're I, 21 I mean, years old. They have a lot of future ahead of them. Yeah. If not 2020 but, could be 2021 yeah, or beyond. One, but, I, but I really think, especially with the explosion that you're seeing in esports. Yeah. It's huge. With the, with the, with the continuing explosion and, and notice that esports is getting in the mainstream in in mainstream circles. What I love I about esports is it's crossing over too. Charlie Martin was hosting one of the esports competitions, right? Yes, uh, yeah. Char Charlie's doing a doing some e doing some commentary work for an e e racing series, and she's a pretty good broadcaster. But I'd still, but I'd still prefer to see her in the cockpit of a car at Le Mans next year. <laughs> sponsors, yeah, yes. I'm going to give the shout sponsors. Get Charlie Martin in a car next year. Do well, it. Well, we're we're stepping onto our second segment, which is all about predictions. Yeah. But let's first let's just segue into the year that was. And you know what? Let's even go beyond. This was a heck of a decade, too. I mean, so much has happened. What do you think stands out for you, Carly, in terms of what was the most significant LGBT sports story? doesn't have to be an out sports story, but it would be nice. What story stands out for you as a big story for 2019? What comes to mind? I mean, first I want to look at the, if I may, can I take a sec? Can I take a second to look at the decade? Because there you had a freaking I mean, week, Carly. <laughs> I know. <it's> a, <laughs> I gave you a week. <laughs> no, no, to look at the tech. No, no, you're funny. No, but. At one level, to me, the biggest story, not only this year, this decade, is how much of a non-story this is becoming, how it's fast really becoming a non-story, how, how 
how we're gaining that as far as gay and lesbian athletes. It it's get, I mean, there's there's less and less the there's still a lot of work to do, but but more and more people are. I mean, it's becoming more and more of just, hey, it's just another part of sports, another part of life at one level. Another another significant thing is is that now we have now we have brought we're bringing trans and non-binary athletes more and more into the fold in a regulatory sense. And that's been a it's been a slow and steady march. Um, the, I mean, since 2003, when the Olympic movement began there and then accelerated to when the college doing it started filtering down to the colleges and the high schools. And a lot of that's happened in these last, in this decade, all of the, most of the major motion has happened in this decade. And yes, we still got a long way to go, but we're on the, but the journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. And we saw a lot of those single steps happen in the decade. For me, significant stories of 2019. Well, I mean, like I said, the best thing I saw in sports in 2019 was CC Telfer. That that's one major story. Um, how much? How much now? How much now? The Rainbow Family is getting more involved in sports at the higher levels of it. What we're seeing in regards to, and what we're seeing what regards to things such as the WNBA, things such as such as this World Cup team, which not only put them on the line on the pitch but off the pit but off the pitch and made their presence felt and making sure that that women athletes especially get equal pay for their equal work and more so equal respect within their workplace within their sport sports and in a regulatory sense for me those were the biggest those were some of the biggest things for 2019 and i also want to look at one person who i know they weren't i mean weren't selected for an award, but they'll always get an award from me, Dr. Veronica Ivy, for continuing to stand in the gap, not and stand in the gap off the field and perform like hell on it. Went back to UCI Masters and tore and tore the competition up solid. And I know she wants to be humble and not put it that way, but I'm going to put it that way because when you're under the level of scrutiny, pressure, and targeting that she was under, yet you perform at a championship level, that's dominance. And that dominance should not be hidden. It should be celebrated. So I'm going to celebrate it. Doc, Doc Veronica, I salute you because you came to rock. I'd like to just point out to our listeners that um, who may not be informed, um, Veronica Ivy is the uh, soon-to-be legal name of the athlete who has been known as Rachel McKinnon. And she has opted to change her name because, well, first of all, she likes the name Veronica. But second, it's because of the haters. It's because of how much hell she's had to endure. And, you know, when I was besieged, uh, this was also recommended to me that I change my name. But I have children and I have a family uh, name that I love and respect. And I wasn't going to let the haters win. I respect her choice, though. And I hope that um, she continues to compete. Um, while she didn't win an award, she certainly was nominated and she's certainly in the running uh, for Outsports Awards. And she herself often says, you know, she doesn't win as many times as people think she does. And, you know, I, I would think that uh, not winning an Outsports Award probably helps her in some way because it doesn't mean uh, a result of more hate directed towards her. It's sort of a, sh a shame that you have to take that into consideration, but it is a consideration. Um, for me, I want to look at the year and the decade. 
for the year. I do think CC Telfer is definitely one of the biggest events, but I would say that um, the biggest uh, sports story of the year for me was um, Elena Deladon uh, playing with three herniated discs in her back, promising her fans that she would bring a title to the Washington Mystics. And on top of all of that, not just being the MVP, but putting her sister, who is a disabled woman, putting her first, not going off to Europe to earn millions of dollars, but taking the time to make her sister's life better. You know, I was moved to tears watching a 60 Minutes interview with Elena. And this is a person who embodies the best of us. And she's great at her sport and she's great at being a human. So that was my favorite sports story of 2019. I have to pick two, though, for the decade. One is going to be very controversial, and the other one may not make any sense to you. Let's do the one that doesn't make sense. I think that the June 26, 2015 decision by the Supreme Court to legalize same-sex marriage, to make marriage equality the law of the land, had the biggest impact on sports in the last decade because so many players felt, I can now show who I am and love who I want without anyone saying that's illegal. And I, I think it affected all parts of our LGBTQ community, but especially sports, because when you win, you want to celebrate, not just with your teammates, but with your family, with those you love. And now, thanks to this decision by the Supreme Court, which I hope will remain, athletes who are LGBTQ who are out can continue to do so. The other big story of the last decade, this is the controversial one. Are you ready? Hit me. Boom. Caitlyn Jenner coming out. And I know she's not a popular choice for some. I know a lot of trans people don't want to be associated with her. I think that if Caitlyn Jenner, Olympic hero, macho man, had not come out as transgender, the movement would not have advanced as fast as it has. I think we owe a lot to Caitlyn Jenner, even if it's because she's been a lightning rod and has taken a lot of the attention that, you know, might have fallen to other people. She can handle it and she's taken it. And I think that, you know, whether you like her or hate her, it's her coming out that really has catapulted the transgender uh, rights movement forward, especially in sports. You know what? I like those picks. <laughs> I got to say, I like those picks. Well, the thing is, though, Elena, I've had a chance to interact a few times when, when she was in college at Delaware and in the WNBA. I mean, that the story about the relationship with her sister is one that's been out there. But no matter how many times you hear it, it's bear, it bears repeating because in in many ways, if you follow women's basketball pretty closely, you've heard a lot of this story. You've heard a lot about Elena's story, and it's taken a lot of twists and turns. But one thing I've she's always been one of my favorite players, and also just one of my favorite people, because she's one of those rare people that come into that come into this into what I call the glitter machine, which in many ways what sports and entertainment is, but they haven't lost their sense of self. I mean, she's very grounded. She knows who she is. And much of who she is is in her sister. That is who, that's who she's always been. 
I remember uh, being a part of a team that did a story on her when she was in when she was being recruited, and she was the number one high school player in the country. But even then, her thing was was my sister comes before me. Yeah, and, no, I, I I saw it on sixty minutes. I'll be honest, I was not at WNBA, even a basketball fan. I'm not a really big basketball fan at all. But in the last year, I have really come to love our Connecticut son. I've been to a few games, and I really admire the tenacity that these players play with. And learning about Elena through 60 Minutes, which is you know more of a mainstream news program, um, it helped open my eyes. Because even though her story has been known in your circles and in college basketball circles, it's not something I think the majority of American viewers were aware of. And I really love the fact that She's comfortable telling that story because it is a very private story and she doesn't want to exploit her sister to look like, look how wonderful I am. If anything, I think they had to beat down her door to get the story told. That and that's just Elena being Elena. Elena is a very private person. She's very much about I mean, she's very much close. She's very close to her family, very private, very private person. Like she, I, what I always say about Elena is she plays the game. The game doesn't play her. And that to me is just, I mean, when you're at that level as an athlete, that's special because then you don't get caught. You don't get caught up too deep into it. Now, as far as Caitlin, oh, there's the sound. That means you got to take a break, pay some bills. We will be back to the transporter room after this. We're back, and Carly's going to explain her thoughts on Caitlyn Jenner being one of the most important stories of the 2010s. Is is Caitlyn Jenner problematic as a trans person? Yeah. Has she been? Has she made PR decisions that were bad? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, I am still quite protective of her. And I'm going to tell you why I'm protective of her because she pays you at money. one. Well, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, but I'm but kidding. actually, her her foundation behind the scenes has done a lot. Absolutely, has done has done a lot more than people the, realize. Exactly and, and, right, and that should be given credit for that. But also, her story in some ways has mirrored my own, coming growing up and coming up. So at one level, I'm protective there, but also because. It was that night in 2014 when she did the sit down interview with um, when she did the sit down interview with Diane Sawyer. And at that moment. And they said, what, 18 million people watched that interview. Now, you can think you can bet the vast majority of that 18 million people did not know a transgender person until they watched that interview. To me, that was the greatest value of in that one moment, her her coming out and coming forward, regardless of what she, regardless of whatever she done done, you you have to give respect for that and what that meant. Because at that one moment, these issues were on the table. These issues were in the consciousness. They were in your system. They were in your hard drive. They were on the news. They were on the radar and people started having to really look at it and started and started listening and started learning. 
I do. I will agree with you is that in many ways, that moment to me really got the ball rolling. And I mean, a few months after that, she gets in Vanity Fair. There's more and more and more news out there. And also a lot more knowledge is getting out there. And it also gave a gateway for a person like a Jennifer Finney Boylan to speak. A person like a Monica Roberts to be out there and heard, not just not just in the blogosphere, but more so in the mainstream. I mean, sometimes it takes it takes the gaudy, shiny thing, celebrity thing to push that door open. And for for that, I give a you got to give Caitlin her props for that. So what do you think about 2020? What's your prediction? Because my prediction is that there is a famous athlete who's going to come out as gay or trans in 2020. Why do you think so? I think it's overdue. I think that we are waiting and waiting and waiting for someone besides Jason Collins to come out as an active player and say they're gay. And because I think the transgender movement, for lack of a better word, has gotten to the point where I don't know if people can remain in the closet and maintain their privacy, maintain their secrecy. I think that out there somewhere is a trans athlete who just wants to be accepted and to compete as themselves. And I also predict, and I think you join me in this, that at least one, could be Chris Mosier, at least one trans athlete who's currently out will compete in the Olympics in Tokyo. I, I agree with that prediction. I don't think that there will be, I don't think, I don't see 2020 being the year where a, where a gay male athlete in one of the major professional sports comes out. Come I don't on, Tom see Brady, do, come on. I don't see it happening. <laughs> I, I, I agree. Don't see I, that. I, 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 hear, think, I hear you. I hear you. But I would I love think, to. I would love I to. I think see this it will happen first. I think you will what? see. I think in 20, I think this will happen before you see that. You will see a transgender student athlete at a power five division one university, mm. i.e., one of the one of the schools that will one of the schools that whose conference can give gets to a front of the line in the college football playoffs, the power the traditional power five schools. I think you will see a trans athlete on a varsity team at a power five school before you see a gay male athlete athlete come out in one of the major in one of the in one of the high major professional sports in this country if i were right just for argument's sake which sport would you think a male athlete would come out in i mean ryan Russell just came out as bi as a free agent didn't do anything for him but you know well no honestly i'll See, here's the thing. And see, that's where the tough, I mean, I'm kind of torn on this issue, Don, because on one hand, on one hand, I say, on one hand, part of me says, why does this matter? I'm torn from the, why does this matter? Why does it matter if somebody in an NFL locker room or an NBA locker room or an NHL locker room or a Major League Baseball locker room, for example, comes out? Really? In the grand scheme, does it matter that much? But at the, uh, no, but I'm saying I'm torn. Here's the other side of that. It matters. I know full dang well because I know sports history. It matters the same way it mattered that Jackie Robinson took that ball field in 1947. 
the same way that that mattered. This matters. Because sports can often break down walls of ignorance. Sports can often break down all these issues. Sports can do that. Well, same I mean, with Caitlyn Jenner. Everyone in America suddenly knew a transgender person. Even if they didn't know them yes. personally, they knew that there was someone who was trans who, you know, for all intents and purposes, is but not a crazy mean- person. Exactly. But it means that much more when not only do we know of that person, whoever, in the case, since we're talking directly about a gay and male athlete coming out, whoever that man may be, but it means more when not only are we celebrate, not only when we're looking at this issue, but they, but we also see them on the ball field, trying to trying to gain an open step on a cornerback on a pass pattern, or trying to shag that high fly ball and 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 rob that home run, or being behind that net in an NHL game and stopping and stopping the best shooters in the game from scoring. Or getting the ball in their hand in an NBA game with the clock running down, down, and you're and you're taking a shot at that buzzer beater. People need to see that, and people need to see that person playing night in, night out. People need to see it. So, Carly, what are your predictions? Okay, first prediction is is one that's closer to home. The other prediction is one farther out. Ooh, the other one, the first prediction is farther out. Um, First prediction, one closer to home. There are two, there are two transgender student athletes who have gotten Woo! some notoriety in Connecticut. Who've Andrea gotten some Yearwood, no- Terry Miller. Woo! Andrea Yearwood and Terry Miller. I will say that I my first prediction is at the CAC outdoor at CAC outdoors this spring, one of them will not only win the state championship, one of them will break a state record. I'll call that one. Number two, 2020. 2020 um, Summer Olympics in Tokyo. Laurel Hubbard will be Laurel Hubbard will be the first transgender athlete to win a medal in an Olympic Games. Weightlifter from New Zealand, she will be the one that will not, not only will she go to the Olympics, she will she will podium at those games because she's been hurt so many times. I'm actually going to go against you and predict that she will not go to the Olympics. I don't think she's going there. I think she's been hammered so hard that she has accomplished all she wants to accomplish and is going to fade away. That's my prediction for your prediction. Well, we'll see. Okay, <laughs> I can run with that one, but I but I do believe there's going to be one. There's going to be at least one. I agree there's on There's going to be at, one, at least one. I think there's going to be one that'll break the barrier in 2020. I'd love it if it was Chris Mosier. Oh, me too. I want to see Chris or CC Telfer. She needs to find a country, though. She needs to find a sponsor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anybody, anybody that need a, do you need a four hundred meter hurdler? I I know one. But <laughs> quick, if we got Call if me. we got a minute, if we got a minute, I want to point out one more sports moment. That sure, that go ahead. Was, we're gonna we're near gonna, and dear. We got okay. one more thing to talk about after that. But yes, we okay. We do it was near and dear. No, okay, it was near and dear to my heart. Um, because I mentioned earlier the Southern New England friend soft the Southern New England friend New England friendship softball league. I mentioned that earlier. Uh, a great personal moment for me was seeing at the end of the year in our individual awards, the team I play for, the New Haven Barracudas, won four of the six individual awards that are given out at the end of the season. And three people who won those awards were transgender athletes. That's amazing. 
that's definitely a highlight of 2019. I'll give you another highlight for 2019. All right. You and I both started working for Outsports. <laughs> and I can say I've loved every I've loved every column inch of it. And we started a podcast. I, I'm so happy. I do I have to wrap do. up with this, though. We promised our listeners that we would review Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> and before you go, Carly, let's just declare everybody. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. If you haven't seen the movie, we're going to give away a lot of spoilers. <laughs> so, Carly, what's your review of Rise of Skywalker? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it immensely. It, it paid a lot of homage in many ways to the first three films to, or what they call episodes four, five, and six. There was a lot of homage paid to it. Um, the cam I mean, the cameos and special appearances were well-placed. It didn't look schlocky or smaltzy. I mean, I've heard a lot of people complain about, Oh, there's this plot hole here and this plot hole there. A lot of the people that didn't like it, and I'll say a lot of the things that people claimed that they didn't like about it were the things I felt gave it a special humanity and gave it its story and gave it its zip. I enjoyed Rise of Skywalker. I enjoyed the way that this ended. If this is to be the end of this portion of the tale, that was a good way to wrap a bow on it for me. Well, I've seen it twice. I saw it once with my little boy and once with uh, myself in IMAX. And I did enjoy it more the second time because I was able to actually, you know, catch some of the things I had missed in all the splendor of watching all the things going on. Um, I will say my son enjoyed it much more than I did. He thought it was the best of the Star Wars movies, the best one. And he's seen them all. But I personally, I didn't think it was the best. I had some misgivings. I didn't really, you know sort of connect with all of the different ways in which they were paying fan service. I thought they tried to shoehorn Palpatine in, even though I was expecting, as you remember, I predicted that Palpatine was going to be Ray's relative um, yes, based on a blog I read in 2013. So I wasn't surprised by that. I'm glad they got it out of the way in the first couple of minutes. I just wasn't pleased with how they executed it. It seemed like they just sort of, I don't know, slapped it on. And I really was disappointed by how they portrayed Rose. I thought that that character, who was such a central part of the um, Force Awakens, and then again in The Last Jedi, because of the, I don't know, the Star Wars bros, they just sort of put her on the side like a, you know, like a leftover. She just didn't have much of a, a part anymore, and it was really sad. Um, the only other thing I really was disappointed in was using Chewbacca and C-3PO as um, comic relief. To me, those are central characters who should have had a much bigger role. Um, same with Lando. It just seemed like with Leia dead that they just, you know, sort of squeezed him in. And my last criticism, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't buy any of the scenes that they used from Last Jedi with Carrie Fisher. They all looked like they were just stock footage that was written around, and it didn't look authentic. It didn't look like they were really interacting. It was sort of creepy to me, and I think they would have been better off just saying she died in between movies. That's just me. Doesn't mean I didn't like the movie. I loved it. I'll say this: those criticisms are all very valid. Thank I've you. also I've also seen the movie twice. Oh, you have? Too? Good, I have. Good. I've gotten out to see it because I had to see it again because the first time. 
it was like, okay, this was fun. The second time, I agree with a lot of your criticisms, but they are criticisms that have mirrored my thoughts on episode seven and eight as well. Oh, yeah, sure. And, 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 and it's still a good movie. I still enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying I didn't but, enjoy it. I'm glad I went. But to me, it just shows the weakness of trying to do trilogy by committee. Yes. It, yes. And, and to me, that was that's the biggest thing Very that good. really hurt Very good. this is that, is that you have what? You had three different directors do these. You yeah. had three different visions do them. And like one vision is not going to, I mean, what made four, five, and six work as well as they did is that you had same director, same creative team, and they had a plan. What made what hurt seven? What hurt one, two, and three was you? Yes, you had the same director, but you had three different creative teams, three different platforms. You had a ton of people doing a ton of revisions. Seven, eight, and nine, you had three different directors, three different creative visions, three full different creative teams involved with the with the with the movie being done, and you also had Disney putting their hands into it. Too many cooks spoiled the broth, and to me. That's what kind of hurt the Star Wars franchise after the first three for me is that you I had agree. too many hands in the pie. Yeah. And that's an example of what you saw. Still is a decent movie, still very entertaining. I went, hey, still, still great to see in an IMAX for in an IMAX environment. Oh, fantastic. Still fun. Yeah. Still beautiful. And, and, and don't fun. get me wrong, you can also have the opposite effect. George Lucas had this vision for the first three prequels, and look how that turned out. Yeah. So even having just one person isn't necessarily a solution but committees also just ugh. i just really well, i really thought they could have thought this out and planned it out and i know that lucas himself wasn't happy with where the story was going but oh he sold it and made a big man no the one thing i did love was the return of red five. Oh yeah i know it was the re- <laughs> i cried i cried i, I, I was i was rising. cheering when i heard red five i was cheering when I heard, look, it's an old code. It's Red Five. I mean, yeah, for me, yeah. because I mean, my favorite part of any of of all the Star Wars films is the is the initial attack on the Death Star. For me, sure. that is my favorite part of the and that is well, my favorite part of the entire run of films. Is that thank right God there. JJ didn't come up with a bigger Death Star like like you know like two planets put together <laughs> like a pair of boobs. <laughs> I mean, in After some the ways, star killer base thing, you know, yeah. in, in some ways, I feel J.J. Abrams is an up is an upgraded Michael Bay. Oh, interesting. <laughs> he's, upgraded, he's Michael Bay who can actually tell a story. Well, here's some good news. It won't happen in 2020, but two, two new Star Trek movies are in the works. Star Trek's four and five. So that's interesting. The Quentin Tarantino project may not happen, but we have Star Trek Picard. We have the return of Star Trek Discovery. There's so much great science fiction. And if you're a Netflix subscriber, Lost in Space Season 2 just dropped. Oh, I can't wait. I really like the way they've reimagined Lost in Space. Oh, me too. I, I really it. like what they've done. Because it is very slick. It is very modern. But it still has that aura and that feel of the old television show. It's Without big. the crazy special effects. And Dr. Smith, oh, the pain, the pain. Hey, I like you, I like Dr. Smith. Oh, I love you the robot. Not, you leave right. Jonathan Harris alone. You leave Basil Bitterbottom alone. <laughs> Let's say goodbye, there. Carly. Happy New Year to you. Happy holidays to everybody who celebrates Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Festivus. We'll be back in 2020 
with a brand new episode of The Transporter Room. Can't wait.